Welcome to the IEEE Brain Podcast Series, an IEEE Digital Studio production. This episode is conducted in conjunction with the IEEE Systems, Man, and Cybernetic Society. Today we're joined by Jose Del Armelon, professor in the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at the University of Texas, and also professor in the Dell Medical School, Department of Neurology. Jose discusses technology advancements in clinical neuroprosthetics and brain interaction, and provides further insights for individuals interested in learning more about this growing research field. Jose, thank you for taking time to contribute to the IEEE Brain Podcast series. To start, can you provide a little information about your educational and work background? I received my PhD in computer science, in, uh, in particular artificial intelligence, from the Technical University of Catalonia in Barcelona, Spain. Then I moved to a research center of the European Commission in Italy, where I was uh, developing autonomous robots. And uh, in the middle of that exploration, I became interested on uh, the possibility to have humans and robots interacting. And um, at that moment, I was uh, shocked in a given sense by uh, the fact that there are people who have lost the, the capability to, or the ability to, to control their own body because of uh, different uh, diseases and, and uh, accidents. Um, so the question at that moment was, uh, how can we develop uh, robots that can directly communicate with people by using their own um, direct brain activity? so that uh, they can communicate uh, by a channel that they have still available. So, and I then started to develop these uh, brain-machine interfaces um, with the dream of um, having such a uh, brain control robot um, immediately. And of course, I am still in the, in the, in the pursuit of that uh, research uh, objective or on the, in the meantime. On the, on the path, we have uh, achieved uh, quite a few things, but um, the full dream is still quite far. From Italy, I then moved to Switzerland, uh, where I stayed uh, for 19 years, actually. Um, then there, I was lately a professor at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lausanne, where I, at that moment I uh, only devoted um, my research to brain-machine interfaces and brain control robots. And two years ago, I came to uh, the University of Texas at Austin to further uh, pursue the, those goals, um, mainly with the midterm objective of bringing brain-machine interfaces out of the lab to people's um, daily life in the realm of clinical applications so, Jose, when did you first become involved with IEEE? So, I, I started to get involved in, in, in the activities of IEEE um, something like um, 20 years ago, um, when I started to, 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 to publish in uh, Brain Machine Interfaces, because at that moment, the... Um, the community working on brain machine interfaces was very, very limited. 
and um, I found that IEEE was one of the main avenues to meet other people working in that area, to, to, to exchange experiences with them. And uh, soon after, I became associated to the um, uh, system man and cybernetics, where uh, the society revamped a little bit, a little bit uh, the research areas and put a, a strong emphasis on brain-machine interfaces at the systems level, and also don't forgetting some particular elements uh, like uh, human components uh, because we need to have humans in the loop in the brain-machine interfaces, machine learning, um, but, uh, but especially disintegrated systems level view of what a brain-machine interface is because a brain-machine interface, even if it is considered the coding brain activity, this is only one part of the whole um, business. Um, a fundamental part, but only a part, because whenever we are decoding brain activity, we need to make sure that the subject, the brain BMI subject, is um, capable to uh, to focus on the uh, mental commands and the interaction that through those mental commands they want to achieve. Um, so this is why uh, this is an Manon Cybernetics uh, Society was a, a central um, cornerstone component for my uh, research in, in brain-machine interfaces. So as a sponsoring society of IEEE Brain, can you provide some insight on the intersection between the two? Well, I think that um, the, the fact that um, I believe brain is um, somehow the umbrella for all activities that are um, being undertaken by the individual societies and, and um, other groups um, under uh, in the pursuit of this brain research. Uh, then it, there is a natural convergence in the sense that every society will be bringing, is bringing actually a different perspective, perspectives that are complementary, um, perspectives that sometimes um, are, um, how to say, not only complementary, but they pursue the same objectives through different channels because people are not necessarily associated to all societies. So this is also a way to enrich what, uh, what we all as a community are doing because, um, because it is amplifying the effects and it is creating the new dynamics for the work of the individual societies and the members of those societies. So how did you become involved in clinical neuroprosthetics and brain interaction? And how do you see that technology advancing? And also, can you discuss some of the challenges you face? The reason why um, in our lab we, uh, we said that we uh, do research on clinical neuroprosthetics and brain interaction is that clearly we want to develop uh, better principles for brain-machine interfaces, but we also want to translate those principles for clinical applications. Uh, in fact, here in Austin, uh, 
at the University of Texas, I have um, a double position, not only as an engineer in the electrical and computer engineering department, but also in the neurology department, so that we can, in fact, um, test and develop and translate our research uh, for the benefit of patients. Yes, people can acquire these um, BMI skills, but sometimes this requires very long times. So how could we, could we shorten those times by using two um, complementary approaches? One is um, the development of new machine learning approaches that not only decode the brain activity, but favor the fact that people uh, learn also to modulate, to modulate their brain activity. Because at the very end, the acquisition of the BMI skills is the capacity for people to change their brain activity, to modulate it in the way they want in order to better communicate and better control devices. So how is it possible to develop then machine learning approaches that favor also the user learning. The other aspect is how can we incorporate physiological principles so that this interaction facilitates also or, or, or mimics as closely as possible the normal use, the healthy use of our body. When we have a natural interaction, say motor interaction, we are not only uh, delivering commands to our, uh, say, hand in order to manipulate things. We are also receiving, and this is essential for the acquisition of motor skills, plenty of proprioceptive feedback, plenty of tactile feedback that is informing us whether or not what the actions that we are executing are achieving the goals that we want to achieve. So how can we mimic this natural loop of efferent commands and afferent um, feedback? So um, we believe that if we achieve or we mimic as closely as possible natural motor control, then the acquisition of brain-machine interfaces skills will be consolidated faster and better. So, Jose, can you provide some examples or case studies where you've seen benefits of this technology being deployed? There are a couple of examples, maybe, that can illustrate um, the benefits of um, using brain-machine interfaces for clinical purposes. One is in the realm of assistive technologies. And um, the example is... Um, 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 one, a telepresent robot that was designed for people with very severe uh, motor disabilities to the point that these people cannot uh, normally uh, even sit on their own wheelchair for long. Uh, so they remain uh, normally at home. Um, but they would like to have an interaction as anybody else on site. So could we offer them the possibility to operate with via a brain-machine interface a remote telepresent robot so that they could be uh, elsewhere via that robot? So in the experiments, 
we show that um, a substantial number of these severely disabled uh, persons. Um, at that time, the research was done in Europe. They were uh, in different countries in Europe, and they were all um, controlling these telepresence robots uh, that was uh, placed in our laboratory so that they could bring the robot along different trajectories in order to reach different places and all did um, uh, the, the task um, at the very first attempt several times. And, and the most importantly, when we observe the, or we quantify their performance, we observe that their performance was equivalent to the performance of people without any kind of disability. What shows that indeed um, the technology can offer something for these people and that with uh, training, these people can achieve whatever other people can achieve. The second example is even more dramatic because it was um, the deployment of a brain machine interface for um, a stroke motor rehabilitation. So we were working with um, a stroke patients who had uh, had a, a, a stroke that uh, caused a strong, severe paralysis in, in their hand, unilaterally, either the left or the right hand. They were using a brain machine interface that was coupled to um, functional electrical stimulation. So functional electrical stimulation is a technique where we put electrodes over target muscles, and these electrodes will be um, delivering uh, electrical currents that don't contract the muscles directly. In, and this is critical. This electrode, this technology, functional electrical stimulation, deliver currents that activate the peripheral nerves that are connected to the target muscles so that then the target muscles will contract. So why this is important? Because this is reflecting the natural uh, pathway of how um, activity in the motor cortex travels along the corticospinal tract. Um, so the spine reaches the peripheral nerves and contracts the muscles. And by uh, using this natural um, pathway that is also sending back to the brain very rich proprioceptive feedback, we observe that these severely um, stroke patients recover substantially um, their, their motor function. Jose, thank you again for taking some time to speak with us today. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share? In closing, I would like to share my, my passion and my enthusiasm for the research field of brain-machine interfaces. Um, it is not only uh, a field where uh, you can explore uh, many areas that are not normally uh, in the normal uh, educational pathway that you have, um, that you are following or you have followed. It is also an area where you can have a direct impact on people's lives. So these are um, interesting years. Um, I invite you to, to consider this, uh, to, to, to attempt to, to translate whatever uh, you are doing 
towards other fields, towards uh, people that may need, uh, may be in need. Thank you for listening to our interview with Professor Jose Milan. To learn more about IEEE Brain, please visit our web portal at brain.ieee.org.